everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful human being on with us today. We have the amazing Kyle Bishop. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing so great. I'm so happy for this conversation. I am excited <laughs> about it. We are too. So we had sort of heard of Kyle before. We knew that he was this major influence in the post-Mormon world. And then when we went to an event for Bill Real in Alpine, it was an in-person event, kind of a Q&A and a dinner, we were introduced by, was it Gene Landon? Yeah, it was I think Gene. It was Gene, uh, it was Gene uh, Judson, our friend. Everybody knows Gene. Gene, good old you're Gene. amazing. Good old, I'm, I'm telling you, if you want something promoted, Gene is your man. He's amazing. We're waiting for him to start his own podcast, and then we can all get behind it, So because he's incredible. But he said, hey, you guys, you need to meet Kyle. You need to meet Kyle in person and talk about doing an episode. So he took us over, introduced us, and we talked for quite a while. It was a really awesome conversation, and we're like, oh, this guy's amazing. Amazing. And he basically, we'll, we'll let him, why don't we let Landon read his quick bio and then we'll just dive in with our friend Kyle. Sure. Uh, today's guest is Kyle Bishop. He left the Mormon church in 2018 and now spends his time coaching his clients through the process of religious deconstruction. His brand is Beyond God and Religion, and he can be found under that name on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. There it is. That's right. He's figured out TikTok. Uh, yes. Our viewers know that Landon and I have not been able to figure out TikTok. So, and so he's found TikTok in a big way, not just found it. He's found it in a big way. Yes, that's right. He's wildly popular. That's right. So welcome. We're so excited to have you here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're sitting right now? That's an important wall, as we understand it. So this wall is under construction. So Look this is... Yeah, anyone who, uh, well, almost everybody knows the fantastic Kara Burrell, who is Nuance Ho. Um, yeah. I have I have commandeered the basement, so this is where I am at currently, and it has been the funnest move I've ever had, and uh, it, it's been so fun. So this has been like my dream move, and uh, yeah. That's like the Holy of Holies on the other side of the wall there. Uh, it, Kara, it is, it is. Kara's, uh, <laughs> Local the Dark Lord people. visits us daily. <laughs> we it's fantastic. All of the evil demon spirits That's are right. yeah, I, It's perfect. I feel like in the neighborhood, your house has like steam rising yeah. out of the roof, right? And nobody knows why. There's just an evil glow, here. just a purple hue to everything at night, especially. It's the only great. house that gets hit by lightning consistently. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But we're easy to find, so. <laughs> that's it. Just drive down the street. There they are. Well, that yeah. sounds really fun. That sounds like you. I bet you guys have a lot of fun over there. That is awesome. So, well, we're really happy that you are going to be able to talk to us today about, we're, we're going to delve into just kind of your background and your growing up and then this amazing organization that you started Beyond God and Religion that is helping so many people. I was just um, talking right before we hit the record button about, um, I started kind of brushing up on a lot of your shorts and your videos. I was sipping tea out on my back porch and just just the affirmation in your videos and things that you put out just the positive message and the wonderful tools you know even in the in the few that i watched i'm just like this is incredible this is what we all need just a, a calming reassuring voice that it's going to be okay and you're on the right path and i just love that about what you're doing it's just wonderful well thank you yeah, it's perfect. So why don't we start out by you just telling us a little bit like where you grew up or family or any of that and how you arrived at the point you are right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that always the big question, right? Yeah. What happened to you? Well, no, lots what, of how things. did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, uh, so I was born in California. Elementary school was in Orem, Utah. Uh, middle school was in Minnesota. Very cold. Do not recommend. And then uh, I came back to Utah, Bountiful area for high school. And my family's been here ever since. And so I, I served a mission uh, in Taiwan. So that was uh, conflicting feelings about it after the fact. But I got to learn Chinese, which was really cool, which actually changed my the way that I sound for forever. I like last night I was at a party and it never fails. Somebody always asked me, like, where's your accent from? And I get Scotland, New Zealand, UK, British guy trying to learn English or German guy trying to learn English. So it's because I learned Chinese and it didn't happen to anyone else but me, but it's permanent. So it's not an accent. So I think by default, it's a speech impediment. So yeah. Oh my goodness. That is really fascinating. So prior to serving your mission and learning to speak Chinese, you sounded like any other Mormon uh, kid, maybe having yep, sounded very Utah had the Utah accent, which we all yep. have now. So, <laughs> wow, that is yeah. so interesting. <laughs> Landon, did you he served in Indiana? Did you find that you picked up any Indiana twang or something that stuck with you? <laughs> um, I, I didn't. Uh, maybe a little buckshot is all you pick up in Indiana and <laughs> you off the porch. <laughs> <laughs> You don't talk to you long enough to pick up the accent. <laughs> oh, okay. they're just like, you get the hell out of my property. Yeah, I understand that. I get it. But so do, can you still speak Chinese? That's incredible. I mean, what mm -hmm. an incredible skill, especially given the current climate today, right? That's amazing. Yeah, I came back from the mission and I majored in it because I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at that point. So I was right. like, well, whatever I do, I'll just do in Chinese, which has not panned out. But <laughs> it's uh, it really comes in clutch when I'm like in the Costco line and, you know, people who don't speak Chinese or don't speak English uh, need a translator. And then I just pop up and they, they never, ever expect that a white boy is going to speak Chinese in Utah. And so it's always just fun to just watch them because sometimes you'll like speak Chinese to them and they'll just look at you and just say nothing for a minute. Yeah. And then it's like it registers that like this white person is speaking Chinese to them. So it's as far as foreign languages go, it's a really fun one to know. So yeah, it's very surprising. Yeah. I mean, I can see that in Co I, in Costco. Can anyone speak Chinese? It's a yeah. desperate situation. You know, it's <laughs> like being on a plane. Is anyone a pilot or is there a doctor in the house? But can anyone speak Chinese? That is absolutely that is so fascinating. Yeah, wow. it's a fun one. That is amazing. Yeah, my goodness. So two years in Taiwan. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's crazy. Yep, absolutely crazy. Yeah, I came back and to get back to the question you asked me, um, what happened to you? Um, <laughs> I uh, I came back and just I was at BYU. I I like my whole life was just very cliche. Like if you if someone just knew that I'm from Utah, they could have been like, "Are you Mormon? Yes. Did you serve a mission? Yes. Did you go to BYU? Yes." And so, and this is where kind of things changed a lot for me. So I graduated BYU and still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I got my, you know, degree in Mandarin, which like worthless in Utah, unless you want to just like stand in a courtroom and be a translator, which I was like hard pass. But um, so I eventually moved out to Sacramento to live with my aunt and uncle because they were doing uh, real estate and they were doing very well. And I it was like, well, Bay Area, Chinese people, real estate, interested, mm -hmm. you know. So I just loaded up the old Honda and moved out there. And while I was there, I met a girl, and she was actually the beginning piece of my deconstruction. 
I so I was I was one of those lucky guys that I got the uh, um, I went to the temple and God told me that you are not the one for me and I couldn't understand that because it was like the most healthy blissful relationship that I had ever been in and so it just this was that was like the first thread it's like I couldn't get behind this idea that all this evil is happening in the world around us just unspeakable acts of evil you know even against children and god remains safely you know in the shadows and then you know i wanted to date this person and then god jumps out of the bushes and blows his whistle and it's like absolutely not this is too much and i just could not make that make sense and that was the beginning idea of this is there's something wrong here and uh so anyway and then I moved back and just kind of slowly deconstructed. And uh, I mean, I, I deconstructed in just a really silly way because looking back, you know, I just started like still wanted to be and I didn't want to have to take on kind of the the life upheaval that happens when you, you know, you leave and you're public. And so I just kind of imploded instead of exploded for a long time. And so I stopped wearing like the the top garment, which, you know, you're not supposed to separate those. And I was like, well, God's kind of weird in the way that he does justice, you know, clearly. So I was like, yeah, that's not a big deal. And it's hot outside because it's Utah and it's a desert. So, you know what? He can kind of just deal with that. And one thing led to another. And eventually um, it all came to a head when I was on a ski trip in Banff, Canada with a, a really dear friend of mine and one of her other friends. And it was uh, a lot of stuff had been coming up in my brain that I just wasn't really able to address. And so I think I was just unconsciously repressing it, you know, back down into the depths of my subconscious mind. And on this particular ski trip, this was like January 2019. So this is, uh, you know, I left, left. I knew I wasn't Mormon anymore, but this is when I realized I don't believe in God. And it wasn't a choice that I consciously made. Because uh, you don't choose your beliefs, right? Like you can't choose to be convinced by something that you're not convinced by. You can't choose to just look at the world around you and just, you know, m come to a conclusion that just makes no sense given what information you have access to. So, and vice versa. So anyway, um, like 2 a.m., I wake up and my brain is just racing in a way that I had never, I'd never experienced that level of like speed in the thoughts that I was going through. And it was the first time in my life that my brain was arguing against the existence of God and everything like I, I like all the uh, all the arguments that I used to make as a believer, knowing that they were problematic and knowing that, you know, there were some issues which I, I could always plug the holes with a little bit more faith, you know, just the magic wand of and more faith, you know, because that's what we're supposed to do. Because, you know, we're not supposed to know the answers and God's ways are higher than our ways. And we're so stupid and puny and, you know, and you know, all, all of that. And it was the first time it just it was a complete mental collapse of everything that I believed. So it was just my belief system was nuked. And and, you Did know, I didn't have anything to precipitate that like on the trip or it just randomly nope, completely there was nothing. OK, Okay. It was just the culmination just of a lot of, to go there. yeah, it was a subconscious <laughs> buildup. Yeah. And, and when I was, you know, awake, I, I thought it was interesting that it happened, you know, while I was asleep, you know, because when I was awake, I was in my conscious mind and I could push things down and, you know, I could choose to not look at things. I could choose to think about something else. But when I was asleep, it's my conscious or my subconscious mind and everything that was bubbling down there is like, okay, conscious mind is, you know, not in play. Let's make a run for it. And it broke through. 
And that's when all of the thoughts and just just that complete dissolution of my belief system, which, of course, was not a choice. Like I was doing everything that I possibly could to not look at everything that, you know, I had I had learned and uh, quotes. I, I had started uh, becoming a like training to be a life coach right as I had begun deconstructing. And so I had learned a lot of things that were very healthy and kind of helped me to understand unhealthy, to- toxic dynamics. And then when I started to realize that, you know, my relationship with this God or my relationship with the church or my church leaders, there was a lot of things that were just like, hmm. And so me, like, and I think this is a a pretty common, uh, like, story that when people learn more about mental health, they tend to start realizing there's something very wrong with their religion, whichever one it is, because virtually all religion is based fundamentally on some very toxic ideas. Like you are subservient to a God period. That is it. Like that's the foundational thing. And if there's anything wrong, like, you know, it's your fault. It's not, it's not the belief system. It's not this God. You are always wrong. And so like right out the gate with all of these religions and particularly the Abrahamic religions, you are to subjugate yourself and just assume that you should not trust your own thinking that's been done for you by minds better and greater than yours will ever be. And uh, yeah, so there's just this, you start, you start out just gaslighting yourself and, oh, well, I'm probably wrong, which is just such a terrible way to start life. And as most of us were indoctrinated as children into whatever religion we were indoctrinated into, um, yeah, it can be, uh, it's just not a great place to start, you know? (laughs) I, I was going to say it. Uh, th- it doesn't surprise me that you uh, deconstructed in your sleep, because for those of us that were Mormon, we learned most of it while we were asleep at church. Is where we got indoctrinated. So. <laughs> Good one, Landon. Yeah, <laughs> she's <it>. coming back. <laughs> no, that's fascinating because yeah, it it very much. Uh, I agree with what you're saying because. I wanted it to be true. I worked so hard to yeah. find it to be true. And every time I turned around, I was going, oh, this is this is doing the opposite. The more yeah. I the more I want it to be true, the more I'm I'm going and finding the other direction. So yes, yeah. I I don't think that's unique. Yeah. And I couldn't make sense of that one either. That was another big thing, is that as we look, you know. God apparently created this universe and it's all coded to his will. Like everything that is here, he programmed to be this way. And there's a lot of things that just didn't, not only didn't make sense, but were unethical. And you'd think that, you know, being all knowing, all powerful, all loving, you know, which is an impossible, you know, you can't maintain all three of those at the same time. Um, and and be the creator of, you know, this existence and all the, the inherent pain and suffering that's in it. That's not our fault, you know, bone cancer and children, all these things. And, all the evidence that God would have had to have left behind that, you know, he is, he's the author of, if he was the one who created it all, it all denotes that there's no pattern, that there's nothing going on there, you know, like evolution. It's like, why would he have left, you know, dinosaur bones in there just to mess with us, you know, which is why Christians have a hard time believing in dinosaur bones, because that completely debunks the whole Genesis story about it being, you know, a 6,000 year old ish earth and it just didn't make sense to me that why would God leave behind this world where all the evidence points to he does not exist? And then only the certain few who still believe it anyway. He's like, you guys are coming to heaven with me and everybody else is burning in a pit of eternal fire for forever, be it literal or metaphorical. Either way, I was just like, 
that is that's like you know an, an intern you know who didn't know what's going on took control of the company and then created things <laughs> you know it's like it just didn't make sense that like when my the uh the last stone fell for me or the last beam i guess of my faith and my belief fell when i realized that from both a logical and a moral perspective christianity had nothing that it couldn't it couldn't win in either of those areas that's when i was like if there is a god he has no right to tell anyone to do anything ever you cannot create this world so full of suffering that isn't our fault and then blame the people that he created when he's the all-knowing one and we're the pawn scum you know the the idiots who just need to have faith like i was just like this this does not work and any god who would force you know such such parameters on his creations is surely evil but more than that it's you know the the evidence isn't that there is an evil god it's that there just isn't one when i see the universe i don't see any universe that's trying to kill us it's just completely oblivious to us which makes more sense than yeah absolutely some all-knowing loving god is creating all of this and allowing us to suffer and and somehow saving us in the end because we were willing to suffer it's like what parent would say oh i'm going to create the most hideous childhood for my for my horrific kid. environment so yeah. they can go through all this trauma and be really strong when they come out that's what that's my plan that's yeah parent, no parent would come up with that plan <laughs> no yeah typically parents love their children and that's really not the there's not a whole lot of evidence pointing to there being a loving god it's like you know there's over four thousand genetic illnesses really would have been quite easy to not code that into existence you know because you could have just you know been you know, all-knowing God, who's also all-powerful, he knows everything that's going to happen and is completely capable of steering the boat in a different direction and avoiding whatever he wants to avoid and yet chose not to. It's like, hmm, okay. Then it's like, well, Kyle, we need a God who's going to, you know, give us struggle and trials so that we can grow. It's yeah. like, that's what I'm going to do if I have kids. Like, I'm just going to chop off one of my kids' legs and just be like, I'm doing this because I love you, because you need to That's be right, humble. For your own good. Yeah, it's it's just like, there's, there's no way that the word narcissist does not perfectly describe no. this God. And there's, there's just no way that you can rationally get around that. And there is no morally, you know, defensible position you can take to suggest that there is a God who does this and yet is good. So... Yeah, I'm coming out swinging. We're just going straight no, to like, here's why there's no go. No, no, that's the dilemma. But we talk about this kind of thing all the time. In fact, what is our phrase that we always say, Landon? God is a... Yep, God's a dick. God's a dick. We say that all the time, you know, and I've always said that, ah, that, you know, if, if everything's real and I get up to the judgment bar and of course you're up there with, you know, God and Jesus and Joseph Smith right there, the fact that he's sitting there, you can go, yeah. really? This guy? I mean, come on, I, seriously? <laughs> you know? But yeah. I feel like I would say, look, you know, look at this environment you created and you gave me a brain, a thinking brain. I'm a yeah. thinking woman. Did you not imagine that I would not do what I was supposed to do with my God-given brain? I right. did it and I came to all the conclusions that a, you know, that my brain led me to. So I stand by every single thing I did. And I'm sorry if I missed it. I'm sorry if I missed the Easter egg. There yeah. were a few people who could completely close their eyes because I was very fascinated. I watched one of your videos and you just touched on it a minute ago where you talked about choosing to believe 
believe, and you gave a scenario there. Um, I'm hearing that. I don't know if you are. I've noticed more and more um, different conference talks, different devotionals, where they're saying it is a choice. You yep, just choose to believe. Must choose. And I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about even what you said. And do you know what short I'm talking about? Or you, I think you so it? about the or just the just Santa about Claus. that concept. Yeah, Santa Claus and the husband and wife. Just kind of that concept, because I think some people do feel why can't you just choose and other of us are going how can you even think that's a possibility maybe you can talk a little bit about that because i thought you explained it very well if it's not that exact thing that you said just your thoughts on it because it's sure yeah yeah well i the, the example that i used in that video that i recall was like um you know s somebody walking upstairs and then catching their spouse mm -hmm. cheating on them and then it's like well i could avoid all this pain of realizing this and we can just go back to normal without this realization that i'm being cheated on if i just choose to disbelieve what i just saw mm -hmm. it's like can you do it you can't and also it wouldn't be healthy to do so because then you're just masking the truth from yourself which is delusion and it's self-imposed delusion you know and that, that that's something that i've uh I've coached a lot of people, one of the parts that really gets them that they had the hardest time with is not that there were people who were lying and manipulating and deceiving them, but that they contributed to their own um, delusion. That It's like, we know that, you know, people do bad things, but when we are on the side of the people who would be doing bad things to us and we go along with it, it's self-betrayal burns so much hotter than betrayal from an external person. Because it's like you you were complicit in your own destruction, in your own manipulation. And you, you know, you pay a heavy, heavy price, particularly if you're in a high demand religion, you know, like Mormonism, where uh, you give up so much of your money and your time and your identity in particular. Because I mean, it, like Mormonism, for example, down to your underwear controls you. And I mean, wow. And then when you realize much that, you know, control. <laughs> yeah. So when you start realizing all those times when you're like, nah, I'm not, you know, that's just anti-Mormon literature where a part of you is like, I should explore that. And then you, you know, you choose to not explore, you know, cause then you, you never, you never open your mind up to the information that would have changed your mind or that could have make you take at least a more nuanced approach to religion. And then you can take at least what is an extremely toxic belief system and then make it even just one step healthier, you know, but we, we're so afraid and we're so conditioned to be afraid. And there's so much guilt and shame that keeps you there that, I mean, we're, we're willing to give up so much of who we are in order to adhere to this clunky barbaric system. Because for most of us, like, I don't think that believers are dumb. I think they're doing what they have to do to get love and adherence to the belief system is the price you pay to get love. And that's the, like love is the currency of life and without it, no one wants to be alive. And so it's like between death and just this is really shitty, we'll take really shitty every time. And it's just coming to this realization that there is actually tons of people on this planet who are living without your God, without your religion, without your belief system, without all these commandments and rules, you know, that are just living blissful, beautiful, loving, spiritual lives. And yeah, and spiritual is a word that can be triggering to a lot of people, especially, you know, yes. atheists like me, yeah. because they think because that word has been so hijacked by religion that it means that there must be some sort of a supernatural uh, realm that we have to acknowledge in order to be spiritual. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I really liked Sam Harris, because he's one of the people who lives a deeply spiritual.
spiritual life. You know, and Buddhism is just a, a great source for yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. the uh, the things that, that that you know, meditation, um, psychedelics is another thing that uh, man. I was so impressed by, you know, stories about burning bushes, you know, in the Bible, like, wow, that's crazy. It's like, take a psychedelic, that's a dime a dozen experience. The burning bushes, like, please <laughs> don't, don't bore me <laughs> with that. You know, it's like, you can have a, uh, yeah, I, and well, I'll just make a shameless plug. Um, psychedelics have been invaluable in my healing. And in just a lot of the people that I've, I've talked to. And while, of course we have to say, um, we don't encourage anybody to break any laws. Um, and a lot of people go to Peru to do ayahuasca and, uh, yes. and there's, there's states that are also, you know, ketamine treatments, a lot of, uh, although big pharma is fighting this because it is to their absolute detriment that we can literally yes. grow something out of the ground that does so much better than any drug they have without all these crazy side effects. And that of course is not great for their business. And so politically they're fighting that, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to go the way of the dinosaur. And uh, while, while I wouldn't recommend psychedelics to everyone, um, I would recommend everybody learn about them, you know, because why not o open the door so that you have more choices so that you actually have more options for what your brain will believe. And one of the things that people can believe is that healing is possible for me. And a lot of people do not feel that way. Right. Especially no, when they're fact. Yeah. When they're at the beginning of a religious deconstruction where it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not fun. I mean, we, we went yeah. through insane amounts of pain and gaslighting and, you know, uh, dismissing our own thoughts and feelings in order to keep this thing true, which it never was to begin with, but, you know, perception is reality. We perceive it as real and therefore it's real to us. And so it's hard to be talked out of something, uh, because you, you know, when, when I was LDS, and, you know, people brought up, you know, what was called anti-Mormon literature, which turns out is just literature. Like, that's all it is. It's, From uh, the church's own sources. Yeah, exactly. The church itself. <laughs> it's like, website. why is the church publishing all of this anti-Mormon literature? Like, that's wild. What is this? Like, Gospel topics this... essay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it just lost my train of thought but basically there's so yeah. much that we can learn and that we can heal from if we just open up our minds to new places but we're so right. we were taught to be so afraid of new places that uh it's just we're terrified of going there because we're we've been taught that if you leave you will become an evil person which is yes. so obviously not true and every non-believer who is living a life of goodness and compassion and empathy you know is is just clear proof that that is an absolutely nonsensical thing and yet so many people have been conditioned in such a brutal relentless way that despite the evidence that is clearly you know just out there just people who aren't believers living happy lives it's like nope they must be just so miserable on yeah, the inside. Look how miserable they are. Well, I know. And, yeah. and basically they're just living life. We were joking before about lightning bolts and things coming out of, you know, Kara yeah. and, and Kyle's house, but that's not true. Everyone is going to have ups and downs, wonderful things, more difficult and challenging things. That's just life. There's no hidden force behind it. There's no mm -hmm. agenda behind it. You can't attribute anything to it. And to me, on the other side of Mormonism, I find that incredibly comforting, the randomness. I don't yeah. have to look for a reason. I don't have to think, what did I do? Or what did someone in my family do? Yes. It's completely random. And then you deal with it. And it just happened to have happened. And for me personally, I know that's not maybe true of everyone, but I find that randomness extraordinarily comforting because then you mm -hmm. can just face whatever it is head on without any kind of 
you know, hidden uh, justification behind it or reasons. And, and there you just are. But I, I think it helps, like you were touching on, to understand how your brain works. You know, it needs patterns. It needs to feel good. It's going to do anything to stop you from going to those places, you know, that are difficult. So nobody should blame themselves for not deconstructing sooner or for not seeing it, you know, the smartest. In fact, I feel like I interviewed uh, Michael Shermer, the conspiracy, you know, theorist. Yeah, yeah. And he explained that almost the smarter the person is, the better their brain is at gaslighting themselves, you know. Uh -huh. And I've talked about my parents before who are PhD level scientists who are beyond ingrained. And, you know, on the other side of it, I think, how did that happen? They're brilliant. The more brilliant you are, the more ways you can come up to just, you know, and you're not consciously doing it. Your your brain is doing it to you. So you yeah. basically have a smarter it's, lawyer arguing your case for you, the smarter you are. You're, it's in your head. For your yeah. yep. In your head. And the smarter yep. you are, the more ideas you can come up with to convince yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's like the emperor's new clothes, right? The little boy goes, He's full on naked, you know, because yeah. he's just going to say what he sees. You know, <laughs> everyone else is like, oh, no, no, that's the king. We must not. You know, they understand everything. The kid's like, no, that's not real. That's not true. You know, but yeah. a lot of us, we arrive there eventually, usually, but but it's very difficult. No one should beat themselves up, especially at like, say, my age or Landon, who's a little younger. You know, we're in our 50s when we arrive at it. And and in other people that of that age group that we talk about, and I'm sure you have clients in that age group, there's this sense of, oh, my life would have been you know, if I only could have, you know, there wouldn't be all yeah. this collateral damage with kids and stuff like that. But you cannot live in that world. You just have to, and maybe talk a little bit about that. I'm sure your different clients, I'm sure you have different ages and it hits people at different ages differently, how they reconstruct after deconstructing. I think you must see a lot of that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, that is one of the most heartbreaking parts of this is that people, it, it's like, the people who really took it seriously and obeyed all of the rules, no matter how silly they were, the people who really put a lot into this, they're the ones who are in the most pain when they realize it's not true because they suffered so deeply and intensely for it and fought so much for what turned out to be an abusive system that was just cannibalizing them and destroying their identity and telling them they, they couldn't be this, you know, this the beautiful person that they could have been. And they had to, you know, put on the, you know, the, the Christian Mormon cookie cutter zombie mode, you know, version of themselves that they had to become in order to get that love and get that approval and get the attaboys from the community. Cause without that, then, you know, you're just kind of cast out and you lose resources, you lose love. And it, yeah, it's so hard because uh, yeah, when it's your whole community, especially somebody who's, you know, lived in Utah the majority of his life, it's like, you know, like everybody loves California Mormons, you know, or, let me rephrase that. When you're Mormon, the California Mormons are so fun to be around because they don't take it that seriously because they're so surrounded by nuanced ideas and just people aren't as wacko, I think is is the, the, the medical term. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I coached a guy who was like late 80s. And this guy, um, it, his his story is kind of like the, the plot of 1984 by Orwell about how, you know, you're, you're watching this guy who realizes he's in this abusive system. He figures it out, but then the system wins him over in the end. And this person is, I am 99% sure is not straight and is, you know, just, and it, anyway, 
all all of his his faith everything just kind of like came crashing down everything was fine for a long time a lot of the abuse that he suffered um you know he like for 50 years he didn't think about it and overnight and he still doesn't know what it was that triggered it kind of like i don't know exactly what it was that triggered my you know dissolution of belief uh, but overnight he couldn't drive a car he couldn't leave the house he couldn't be alone like he was just completely mentally destroyed by this and the pain of you know embracing what all of this means was so much to him that he went back in you know and found his solitude in in Jesus but still denied his sexuality denied all of these things and it's so sad to watch uh, a person and I, while I can be so empathetic that it's like, yeah, like when you just pull out the balance sheet and look at how much pain is, you know, in front of you, if you accept the truth, like the pain can be expensive. The pain is almost always expensive or the, the truth is almost always expensive. And because it requires a lot from you. And so he just, you know, couldn't couldn't deal with it. And I I try not to judge people's decisions because it's like. I'm not 84 waking up to this. I woke up yeah. to this when I, you know, in, in 2018. And so I still have so much of my life in front of me. And so I'm like, I'm going to really, you know, drop all the stones that I have in my little uh, stone purse here. You know, I'm, I'm not going to. And when you're 84, you may did. not wake up to it the next day and you've just <laughs> spent an entire life and that's yeah. preparing for that. And yeah. it's like, I'm, do I write this out known. at this point? And I can absolutely understand that, you know, yeah. do, I, do I take the chance at this point? Because I can't, I'm not going to have the other life now. <laughs> it's yeah. No, late. but so I, I, I know people to... that do that are that yeah. age and they say, there even if some, I have yeah. 10 years, it reminds me of, I watched a, a documentary on the Heaven's Gate cult. That yes. was that one in the nineties where they all put on their, their tennis shoes and they laid down and the spaceship was supposed to take them and they committed suicide. And I remember thinking, oh, that just must've been a bunch of crazy space people. No, this documentary showed me exactly what we're talking about. These were professionals, many of them scientists. These were intelligent people. Yeah. And there was one man, it was very poignant, just like you described, he left. And he got an apartment and he got a girlfriend and he started living his life. But those beliefs, they were there. And yep. eventually he went back and there was a video that his girlfriend was shooting. This man was probably in his forties shooting of him as he is leaving. And she's like, okay, he's made the decision, you know, and it's this very short, you know, and he's packing up. He's like, I'm sorry. It's just what you described the balance of pain. He went back and three months later, he was one of the ones in, you know, that had, had yep. ended up ending they everything. And I, I remember just watching that going, you know, it's bigger than we think the pull and, and just what our brains are doing, doing to us. It's so much bigger than I think what we understand. You can't judge anyone for, for how they react to it or what they decide to do. It's, it's just too big. Yeah. And I also want to speak uh, to the other side of that coin, because while there is that very tragic, you know, 1984 ending for, you know, for people, there's also a lot of people who are willing to pay the fine for the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're willing to change things around. And what I've found to be helpful of people is that you really have, wherever you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what you've been through, there is so much relief in just letting go of the control and the, oh, I wish I would have done this. Because you can't go back and change what happened. But what you can do is rewrite the narrative of what was happening as it happened. So if, for example, you know, somebody who's who's lived their whole life, they can't go back and wake up when they're 23, when they're now 84, and then not let the missionaries in. 
can't do it. But what they can do is give a, just an abundance of empathy and love. And, you know, that version of themselves had a gaping hole in their life or, you know, maybe just wanted to socialize, whatever it was. These are not, you know, bad intentions. And you just couldn't know what you what you couldn't have known. And to expect otherwise, you know, it, it's like getting mad at people in the 1700s for not giving their loved ones who's choking the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. That, that sounds so silly, right? They, they didn't know what the Heimlich maneuver was. They couldn't have acted differently. And so to treat the older version of yourself with disdain and, you know, you're an idiot. And I can't believe that, you know, I did this to me. My, you know, and they just kind of just beat on this older version of the, themselves. It's like, there's nothing to be gained there. But what you do have right now is a beautiful day that if you choose to spend yourself, spend, you know, spend the time in a beautiful state of mind, which can be challenging to get to, but uh, can absolutely be done then it doesn't matter because one of the things I've realized is that if if outside it is stormy and ugly weather, but inside your mind it's blue skies, rainbows, white sandy beaches, then it doesn't matter what's going on outside. But the inverse of that is also true. If it's a beautiful day out there, but it's stormy in your mind, all you're going to see is dark clouds. So really, it's not what happened to you. It's what lens are you looking at what happened to you through? And the lens is something that you have absolutely control over like you can absolutely change the lens and it's hard to get there like i mentioned before but the one place that i find people find the most success is gratitude which to me sound you know and that sounds so cliche and just so platitudey you know just find something that you're grateful for just ignore all the pain of your life for this past 80 years and you know just you know pretend that you're happy that's not what i'm saying at all it's just let go of the past, because if you don't, your past will kill the rest of your future, however long it is. And that you can be certain of, because if you can't let that go, then that will be your reality for forever when you could change what's going on up in your mind. And gratitude is the stepping stone to get there, because you can't psychologically just go from a bad state to a good state unless you use gratitude. Gratitude is like the bridge between those two states of mind. And gratitude is something that it's like, no matter how, how bad your day is, there's so many stories that we see on the news where, you know, people are just murdered in the most senseless, stupid, cruel ways. And it's like, well, that's not me. I still have today. And, you know, you talk to people who are, you know, at the end of their lives, and, you know, like, like terminal cancer patients, whatever your worst day is, whatever, you know, how bad your day is going today, there's nothing they would not give to switch places with you, like period. And so it's like just realizing that there is so much abundance. And it's like emotion. Yeah, no, I know. It's so oh, it's so charged to talk about it. It absolutely is. No. And you see you see so much of it with the people that you coach. I mean, that you must have to do a lot of self-care as you work with people, you know, cuz you do. You just you hear it and you see it and you see the pain and you help, but you're still impacted. Yeah. yeah. I, I do not blame you for just feeling that way. You're feeling everything. So Yeah, it's like I I see what works. Work. Yeah. I see what works and I see what doesn't work and I see it all yeah. the time. And so it's like, you, you do this for enough time and you'd have to be an idiot not to realize that there are certain patterns that bring out joy and bring out forgiveness and forgiveness for yourself. Just 
little things can change the game. Do you find do you find it productive? Um, we were at a Thrive event. Was it two years ago, Landon? The one that was in Salt Lake, or two years yeah, ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. And Natasha Helper Parker had us all do an exercise, and we all stood up, and you know, she said, "You're here now. You know, look forward to your future. What do you see?" But then the important part was to turn around and talk to yourself in the past, and like what you said and said. I understand why you did what you did or why you didn't take action when, when you should have, I understand and forgive, like you said, and, and come to terms with that. And I wonder, I find myself when you talk about gratitude, trying to look at things from my past in the church that I actually can be grateful for things that were okay. You know, things that were positive. And there are things like that. I know some people don't want to hear that, that there were things that were okay, but you know, growing up in the eighties in the church, it was a different day and it was a wonderful time with friends and fun and activity, you know? So I look at that yeah. and I think I, I, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I am going to remember a lot of the positive things and I'm not going to trick myself into saying they weren't positive. You know, even with my knowledge now, there are things that I see that are okay. So do you ever, is that a healthy thing to do or <laughs> should I no, be absolutely. realistic? I try to just, you know, piece out the things that, you know what, I enjoyed that time. Or when I directed that road show, I loved those kids. You know, I pull those things out and I try to hold on to those. And it's mostly about relationships and things like that and people. So that yeah. helps me. Yeah. If there was nothing, you know, valuable to people, they wouldn't be attending. And so that right. suggests that there is some, you know, value there. And when you, when you don't give uh, the devil is due, so to speak, uh, <laughs> then you kind of do so at the lack of your own integrity. Because if you're just painting it all as this completely evil thing, first of all, nobody will believe you because no one on this planet has had that experience, not even you, not even the person claiming that it was just all bad. It was all bad. You know, it's like how they taught us about Satan at church. It's like, well, Satan, you know, of course would be doing, you know, donations and he'd be doing raffles and giving away free things. And, you know, it's like, yeah, he, he would be. That sounds fun. That it's, sounds fun. You're having a lottery. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you have to look. Yeah, you, you have to give all the points where it's due. And, you know, the cool thing is that you can separate. And th this this is a double edged sword when we do this, because this can be toxic or this can be beneficial, depending on how you do it. But you can separate the membership from the church, from the teaching and the institution of the church, because the church is a place where people come to serve in a lot of situations. And of course, the church loves to take credit for that. You know, it's all these people donating their hard earned money to the church. And then the church gives away a tiny bit of it and says, look at how good we are. Man, we didn't have to give this away. And we totally did. It's like, well, you told your membership you would. And so, you know, you'd think that if you had a shred of integrity, you would do that. But it's like they think that's extra credit. But with uh, with people and separating it, it's like there's so many good people who are attracted to religion. It's just that religion you know, takes that and manipulates the message into, we made these people this way. And it's like, no, you didn't. Because there's all these other people who don't believe in your faith who are also doing these things. And so to simply take credit for it, it's like, sure, you may have like hosted the building, you know, where all this took place. That would have been an empty building had good people not come and grace the halls of your wacky messed up church. So it, it's like, it's... That, since the church is a business, yeah. isn't the church really your participation in the church, a, a cost value uh, evaluation that you have to make constantly. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're white, you have young kids, you're, uh, you, you grew up in Utah, things work for you. Everything goes great. And as long yeah. as it's happening, you don't do that cost value. You say, this is working for me. Everything's mm -hmm. going good. I am, like you said, getting something out of it. 
But then all of a sudden, when one of your kids turns out to be gay or something yeah. else happens and you start seeing this isn't working out in that in that cost value. Right. Uh, There's no place for me now. Yeah. Yeah. You're now saying now it's costing me more than I'm more than I'm gaining. And isn't that what we're all doing all the time is constantly making that cost value uh, evaluation is, you know, am I getting out of it? And you're willing to overlook things if you're getting the value mm -hmm. out of it. That's true. But then once yeah. you get to that point where you say, this is costing me too much, it's hurting me too much. These truth claims not being true. I can't, it's causing me loss of sleep. I can't. And then all of a sudden the cost to stay in becomes too great. And we make that, that decision. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, and I, I think the the main theme of what we're getting at here is that you just have to let go of what you can't control. You can't go back and control who you were and the decisions that you made, but what you can do is, you know, just clean the slate and allow yourself, give yourself the gift of just being able to start over. And that's something you can do every day. You can do that every week. You can do that every minute. And, you know, one of the really cool things that I like to encourage people do uh, in in coaching is to give themselves permission to completely fuck it up. Go and try new things. And a lot of the things that you go and try, you know, you're just, you're a kid again. All the questions that religion answered for you. And like, in, again, it controlled you down to your underwear, like it, the entire spectrum of, you know, of choosing, of just life, the church dictated to you. And so all of the periods at the end of all those sentences are, are now question marks, which can be very daunting, but it can also be very exciting. You know, and so giving yourself the freedom to go out and not be like, oh, I'm going to be that person who, you know, if I make any mistakes, then everybody in the church, all my Mormon friends are going to be like, see, mm -hmm. we told you to stick to the rod and look at you now. You know, they <laughs> love to do that, which is endlessly frustrating, especially as they're like, we're God's chosen people. We're number one. I'm like, mm, OK, <laughs> we can't be number no, two. I no, that's really funny. We were just we just went to brunch with the amazing Lila Tuller and her wonderful boyfriend, Adrian. We were just talking about perfection and how damaging that is. Mm -hmm. And the point of life is you got to fail and fail and try and try. And and if you if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. And I've tried a lot. Right. That's what they say. It's yeah. from Ruben and Ed, a very funny movie. But Mormons don't have that sense. You got to get it right pretty quick. You've yeah. got to get it right or you're judged or you may be going to hell. So you never have that time period where you can just try and try. And and I think that's post-Mormons. Now they're doing that maybe on steroids, right? So that gives us that cliche. Oh, look at her. She started drinking. She got a tattoo. She's, you know, yeah. but, but you're just trying, you know, you're trying to figure things out. And, and in your experience, when you coach people, is that okay? Is it okay to just, like you said, clean the slate and then, and then go from there? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of cool because a lot of people would describe their life when they hit the religious deconstruction uh, phase and realize that, you know, they've been wrong about this is that they'll say, you know, I, I wasted all of this time. Mm. And it's like, did you really like, and they'll say like, I'm starting my life over. It's like, well, the truth is you can't start your life, life over because all along the way, even before you realize that you were in a cult or in a high demand religion or whatever you want to call it, you are developing skills and learning things that can never be taken away from you. So there's no possible way that you can wipe the, your brain of all the good things that you learned, even though you were in toxic environment, you know, because a lot of the, you know, a, a lot of our worst days are actually kind of our best days in disguise because they force us to develop skill sets that we would never have otherwise developed. And this goes uh, back to the Bill Rill uh, event that we met at. One of the questions at this Q&A was, would you, if you could go back in time, 
would you have avoided the Mormon church? Would you change your story so that you didn't have a clue what Mormonism was? And Bill and a lot of other people, including myself, say absolutely not. And so it, it's empowering because to that 84-year-old person who feels that they've lost so much of their life, you know, it's like you you have learned so much and you get to, for however much time you have left, you get to have all those skill sets with you. And so like once you just let go of the past and just focus on now, like don't focus on what you don't want, you know, like that I don't, I wish that I hadn't have done this thing in the past, but instead like focus on what you do want now, the world is yours. Your life is yours again. There's, there's, and at that point, there's no longer a high demand religion you can really blame because they may have ruined your yesterday, but it is on you. You have control over your today, and that is completely your prerogative. And so it's like <laughs> wherever you are, be nice to yourself because that past version of yourself is the only way through which you got to be who you are today. And when people like Bill Real, you know, who who just exhausted himself in researching all the insidious ways that this religion has destroyed people's lives, you know, in its very subtle but carcinogenic way, um, he still wouldn't go back and change it. And that speaks volumes. You know, it's like you, you, you can take your pain and, you know, it's hard to be a motivational speaker if you didn't have a really, really rough go at some point in your life. I was making uh, jokes with Carol the other day. I was like, I really should just like go do hard drugs or something and really fuck up my life. Because like, <laughs> man, that's going to come back later. And, you know, like right. way higher speaking fees. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> That's right. No, that's exactly it. You've got it down. What do you tell people about um, relationships? A lot of people that leave when they're my age or Landon's age, kids that are in, parents that are in, siblings that are, you you know, how do you, and I'm sure you deal with that with the people that you coach, because that's kind of a daily thing that kind of we all face. How do you, how do you tell people to navigate those different situations where people are in, they're disappointed with you. They don't understand you. You yeah. know, I mean, it is, let me tell you to be a parent and have your kids looking at you and going, I don't even know who you are. I, for one thing yeah. I say to them, call me when you're 50, you know, I'll yeah. be a hundred, but call me when you're 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's part of that. But I'm sure that you, you talk to people about that. And a lot of us are dealing with those relationship yeah. issues. Relationship issues takes up 90% of coaching for people oh. who are religiously just deconstructing. <laughs> so I'm more of a yeah. relationship coach than I am about, oh. a re, you know, because a lot of people see my TikToks and they assume that's kind of like what I talk about with, uh, like with a, a coaching client. If the things I talk about on TikTok and, you know, wherever, are almost never spoken about in our in our, our client calls because it, it would be a lot easier for people to just leave if they didn't still have loved ones who were still in and you know there's, there's just that clash of life but I do have kind of a, a four step um, thing that I kind of realized I, I created it because I tried to communicate with believers and it went so badly for so long that I was like okay what I'm doing is not working. And I need a better approach to this. And so there were, there's basically four steps. And this is what I, I tell a lot of my coaching clients. So number one, um, and this is for people who want to have a conversation about, you know, this is who I am now. This is how I came here. Because it's hard to have intimacy and true connection in a relationship when the other person refuses to look at your story. Because your story is who you are. And if they don't want to look at who you are, what connection can possibly be built there? And that can be a heartbreaking thing to realize, but that's why this you know, four-step little thing is so useful because it helps to bridge the gap. So what happens is that people want to talk about the church, not because they're trying to you know, bludgeon the, the believer who's still in, but because they still love that person and want to have that connection because it's been so important to them for so long. And it's like, how can we save this? And it's, you know, it goes off the rails when people you know, say, hey, 
I want to help you to come out. Here's a crazy Joseph Smith quote. Now defend yourself as to why you're still in, given that this quote, you know, this crazy quote um, is here. And then the person instantly, you know, it triggers the backfire effect. Um, they go on the defensive and then they feel unsafe. The best thing you can do, in fact, the only thing you can really do is to create an atmosphere that the other person who is still, you know, in, in this toxic environment doesn't realize it feels safe. And that requires a few things of you as well. One is that you're not attached to whether or not at the end of that conversation, they're like, okay, sweet, I'm leaving. You're right. That's not going to happen. This is a very, because remember that you're, like, you're trying to out, you're trying to logic them out of religion, out of this belief system, but they never logic themselves into so you're using the wrong tool, like they faithed their way in. And so when you go at it that way, it, it can be, you know, a really challenging thing and just backfire over and over, which was my experience. So anyway, let's get to the four steps. So number one, I read or I encountered information. That's kind of how it starts. And then you can kind of explain what it is you share, you know, the the quote or whatever it is. Um, but it's it's not about making that person be in the hot seat what you do and the, the kind of the the utility in this approach is that you're not saying here's this thing and you know why are you still in it? it's here's this thing here's what i reflected so you start with you know i i i read and you don't want to say i learned because if you say i learned it presupposes that what you read is true that will trigger the person's brain so that's just a quick caveat i want to throw in there not i learned because you don't want to presuppose you're trying to just say hey this is my experience as opposed to here's this thing how could you still believe it you moron you know so i i encountered and then you go to i felt now, it's kind of like in Preach My Gospel, how in order to get missionaries to not engage with constant Bible bashing, they say it's a lot easier for you to share your experience than it is to go, you know, you know, Bible verse to Bible verse back and forth because it just leads nowhere. And it's actually that same logic, but kind of like turning it on the church by saying, I'm going to just talk about, you know, I, I read this thing. This is how I felt about that thing that I read. And then you go to, I concluded based off of what I read and how I felt about, it, I concluded that the truth was this. And then the most important part is step four, given what I've just explained, do you think there's a flaw in my logic? Like help me see if I'm wrong here. So it is you on the hot seat. So what you're doing is you're enlisting that person in a non-threatening way to look at the thing that you looked at, which, you know, that's a win right there. Even if all you did, you know, like if somebody says, you know, the church wasn't ever racist and, you know, 10,000 racist quotes come to your mind and you want to just hurl them, you know, you know, instead you can say, well, here's something that like, here's what my experience was. Here's how I got to where I am now. I read this quote and then you share the quote and I felt this way about that quote. And you talk about, you know, kind of your inner struggle and where you were. And then I concluded that, you know, the church must have been like racist and we can talk about why, you know, that that's up in the air, but here's the conclusion that I came to based on what I just told you, do you think I like, where did I go off the rails? That is a very, very useful approach. And it just absolutely kicks the trash out of the, you know, the other approach where you, you just, you know, man, you are so dumb if you still believe this. And here's a quote. And, and this is really hard because like, in, in even, you know, I, I teach this and I still have a hard time with it because it's like the ego is still there and there's so much pain. And there's certain people you can have this conversation with and have it go well. And there's certain people like, you know, with parents who are still in that I struggle with. I'm like, man, like I hope no one caught that exchange on uh, on video. <laughs> that, that would not be good for my brand. You know, it's like, <laughs> but like, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some and just be able to have the exchange. And however it goes, detach from the result.
don't tie yourself to needing things to go a certain way because when you have expectations, you create, the, you know, it's like kind of like you, you start this, the more expectations you have, the more opportunities you have to get angry and disappointed. And so what you do instead is basically the point is when you trade expectations for appreciation, the whole game changes. You're not tied to this person. You know, it's like if your happiness is impacted by whether or not, you know, your loved one leaves the church, your happiness is not in your own hands. And not only is it not in your own hands, it's in the hands of somebody who is still in a high demand religion who is not thinking for themselves. You know, I, I think about my relationship with my parents and like, that's brutal. It's been so, so hard. But I look at my mom and I'm like, that's not really mom. Mindy, you know, my mom's name is Mindy. I'm like, Mindy doesn't know who Mindy is. Mindy has completely taken on this mask. And and I, I have so much empathy for her because she didn't choose this. She was indoctrinated as a child, just like I was. And it's been a lot easier for me to get out because in all the years, you know, she's been in for so much longer. And has just kind of been hooked up to the IV drip machine of this indoctrination her entire life. You know, I had it for a while. And you know, it, it's become like society used to be so strict and now it's a lot less so, you know. And so, you know, who knows if, you know, if we switched places and I was her father and I was indoctrinating, you know, her with this, would I have been any different? And I would love to hope so. I would love to hope that, you know, if I was a German in the year 1940, that I would not have been a supporter of the Nazis. There's no evidence that really supports that fantasy. I probably would have. And that is like so hard. And I'm like, no. And my ego is like, that can't be true of me. But it's like, you just look at, the, you know, you just look at the statistics of the time. And it's like, yeah, you probably would have been that guy. And then we get into the shadow where it's like, if you, if you don't really understand the evil that you're capable of, you don't understand yourself at all. But again, that's a little piece of information that we'd much rather go throughout our fun little day without having to ever face. You know, and we have, you know, there's, there's this, uh, and I'm going all over the map because ADHD is awesome, but on Netflix, <laughs> there's this show called The Push. Have you ever seen it? Oh, I've heard of that. No. Would you recommend that? I have heard of that. It is. So it's, it's, it's a good introduction to anybody who wants to get into Jungian psychology and particularly shadow work, which is something that I hit really heavy uh, with my clients. So The Push is basically a social experiment. Well, what they're going to do is take people off the street and then they're going to do a brief screening to see how suggestible their minds are. The objective is to get as many of these people to commit murder by the end of the day. And they have an extremely elaborate piece by piece, like psychologically backed, like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to have somebody do something crazy, you don't start with the crazy thing. You do these tiny little subtle things. And, you know, and then before they realize it, they're too far and they're now culpable of this thing. And it all ends it's called the push because the person they're supposed to kill is sitting on the roof on the ledge and they're bungeed up. But the person can't see that because they're coming from behind. They have to physically push him off the roof. And how many people do it will astound you. And it, it is a... Uh, and who they follow, you know, lots of different people and who you'd think would be the killer. You're kind of guessing whether or not this person that you're watching at this particular you know, portion of the uh, of the show is going to do it. And it's one of those things where like history repeats itself, not because we're stuck in some uh, like that. It's just bound to be that way, but because we refuse to believe that we could be one of the people who pushes someone off a roof, that that is inside of you. 
And the more you refuse to acknowledge that, the more likely you are to create that self-fulfilling prophecy. Because how much development, how many, like how many, how many hours a day do you spend solving a problem that you do not think exists? Zero. And so when you refuse to look in yourself and say, like, like if people, you know, it's like, like, imagine if every narcissist on the planet just started with the assumption that I'm probably a narcissist and then, you know, went from that point as opposed to I'm probably not a narcissist. Boom, done. You're not going anywhere. So until people can embrace that radical honesty of maybe I'm the asshole, like maybe I'm the person who has these narcissistic tendencies that I refuse, you know, I just, I cannot accept that that is me because I've been trying so hard to be good. So I must be good. Otherwise my effort has been a waste, you know, silly egoic driven ideas like that, that are really just there to maintain your level of safety, you know, that sense of safety and security that like, I'm, you know, I'm not a bad guy, but it's like, when you just accept that maybe you are, you at least open the door to looking at yourself in a light that is honest and yes, it will be painful. Yes, there will be tears, but you will finally be coming closer to a truth that you never would have found out about yourself. And then you can finally start addressing problems in yourself that were never going to be addressed ever. It's like, why do people go to therapy? Because other people in their lives refuse to go to therapy. It's like, don't be the guy who refuses to go to therapy. Don't be the girl who refuses to go to therapy. Assume you're fucked up because <laughs> you are. You're fucked up. Introspection is hard. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, I don't need to do this. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get yeah. introspective tomorrow or, or the next day. I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> yeah. Kara dropped a bomb on me the other day. Um, she told me uh, it's this quote, and I'm going to try to paraphrase it. Like the amount of growth you will experience in this life is directly correlated with the amount of brutal truths you can accept about yourself. Wow. Like, that's it. If you're not willing to assume that you have this capacity for evil, you'll never work on not being evil. You're just assumed that's not me. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like if, as people have researched, um, you know, like when parents just snap and kill their kids, you know, nobody ever saw that coming, you know. And if we assume that we have that in us, that we at least are aware of it and we can be more careful and see it coming, which gives us more time to say, oh, you know what, maybe that isn't me. And then we start working on things and developing skill sets. And it's like, imagine if we went to therapy before we needed it. Imagine how much we could prevent instead of having to cure. And all the, you know, the, the days that wouldn't be wasted in just grieving and in anger and just meltdown mode. And uh, mode. <laughs> of course, that, uh, that idea can also be weaponized against somebody because some people you know, can tend to be too self-aware, you know, right. and they beat themselves yeah. up over everything. And so, and this yeah. is, this is really where nuance and, you know, being with a coach who can kind of understand where you're at and what you need because some days you need kind of a kick in the ass and some days you just need a hug and it's can be hard oh. to tell what, what you need. That's true. You know? well, and I also like, think, I think, I think that people in the church sometimes and myself included, uh, you're, you're not taught to be very introspective because it's never you. It's Satan's voice. It's God's voice. It's the yeah. Holy ghost voice. It's what someone else wants to, you know, it's never you. You're basically right. trained to override your gut 
completely because it's never you. So you never get in touch with who you are. And then on the other side of it, you realize there's no Satan, there's no God, there's no one telling me it's just me. What do I do now? (laughs) Who am I in my head? I mean, do you ever feel that way, Landon? It's maybe you don't. I don't know. Landon's very pragmatic, but no, absolutely. Uh, you, You often have to come back to that point of, you know, who am I really? What am I, you know, how did I get here and, and what can I change? Yeah. I yeah. think that's true for, for all of us. Uh, yeah. fact, I was, I was thinking as we were talking, we actually, you had mentioned that we went to brunch this morning, but at the cash register, there was a, a little saying there, uh, which went right along with what you just said. It basically said, there's only one day that you can change. You can't change yesterday. You can't change tomorrow. You can only change today. And yeah. so all of that change has to happen, whether you're 84, as we talked about, or what, you know, you have to make the change today. Uh, and when you make some changes, things are going to change and it's going to be very difficult um, to uh, realize who you are and where you are. And it's going to take a lot of days of, you can only change one day, but it, it's a constant change that you have to change each day. And, and you're eventually going to, going to find that, tomorrow you're a different person than you were yesterday um, because of the change you made today. So I, I, I thought, as you were talking, that just kept coming into my head there. Uh, wow, it's meant to be. You're yeah. in a vortex of change. Yeah, I know. We're hearing it from all sides. This is awesome. <laughs> so tell us, um, as we're kind of um, concluding here, tell us about your organization, your coaching, how people can reach you. Tell us anything yeah. like that that you'd like everybody to know, because I'm just fascinated. It's just wonderful. Everything that I've delved into online and everything you're about. So just tell us all about that. Yeah, I would love to. So people can reach out to me on any platform. I do have a website. It's beyondgodreligion.com. And there's a whole bunch of buttons as you scroll down that it's just book a free session. So I let people just book a free session. And the reason why I do that is because A, I genuinely love what I do. And so I'm okay with it not turning into a coaching relationship. And uh, that's okay. Because part of what I do, I actually learned this from my aunt who was in real estate, who she would have people who are always reaching out to her and asking, well, what's the market doing? And she would work for free all the time. And people wouldn't end up, wouldn't end up booking her as like, you know, their, her, as their agent. And she was okay with that. And I was like, well, why are you okay with that? It's like, well, because like, I do get to help a lot of people. And then from time to time, I get a big payoff when somebody chooses me. And I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't be able to find those people if I didn't offer something. And also, I found that a lot of people can have a complete mind shift and solve a lot of problems in one conversation. And then if they don't want to go um, and like, you know, book and do a thing, then they feel weird about like, oh, I didn't pay you. And I got, you know, this big benefit donate to my Venmo. Like there's, there's no charge for it, but people can always just be generous. And I love when people do that. Um, so I'm not really worried about that with, you know, the first session. Um, I don't have a set time limit for people because I've been in experience. I've, I've had experiences when I've been in therapy where, you know, it's like, I'm talking about something that's really deep and meaningful. And I'm really getting somewhere. And then it's like, and time you want to keep going That's yes. 20 more bucks. And it's like, <laughs> Uh, that is pay not the meter, a, pay the meter. <laughs> yeah. I also don't have anybody sign a contract. There's no, like, there's no signing of anything because I don't want it to be like, like people felt shackled in, in these religions and I don't want them to come to me and then feel shackled to my coaching program. It's like, sorry, you know, yeah. you chose to be baptized, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, you're never getting out. You signed up. <laughs> yeah. So Too yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, 
yeah, that's basically it. I mean, so anybody who wants to just have a, a free session and just chat, um, beyondgodandreligion.com. So that's, yeah, that's basically all the information there is about the coaching deal. And it's just per session. I do give like, you know, bulk discounts if people want to purchase multiple sessions up front. Um, but yeah, so anybody who's interested can just reach out and yeah, I, I love what I do. So I'm, it can make a big difference. One conversation can be very life-changing. Yep. So I, if that advice you just gave is, is, uh, you know, indicative of the quality of coaching that you do. Yeah. I think that uh, says a lot because, uh, you know, I think what you had just said about, you know, I read, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I read, I, I uh, understood I this, this, this felt, yeah. I understood, yeah, yeah I, I, I concluded, boy, that alone to help talk to other people, uh, when we got off with you on our pre-show, uh, Rebecca and I both went, wow, that's a really powerful yeah. tool right there yeah. uh, to be able to point it out that way because it is non-threatening uh, and and it forces them rather than to argue with you, it forces them to internalize and say, what would I do in that present yeah. that information that I can now tell this person what I think they should do? I first have to in internalize that information into myself. So I thought that was a powerful tool and and. Uh, yeah, some very good advice. Yeah, it's it's a subtle little shift in approach, but it makes such a big difference. And uh, it's you know, whenever you bring up something that can be very triggering to somebody, their brain naturally wants to fight you. And when you say yes, please fight this idea with me, like let's figure out where I went off the rails, and not in a manipulative way, because it's like sometimes we do realize that we. You know, sometimes you you take a quote and then you make it to you know be too much. You know, you stretch it a little bit too far, and then they, they then their brain goes, "Ooh, you you went off the rails there." So it can also be a way to genuinely refine refine the way that you are validating and invalidating and exploring you know information that has led you to come to your conclusion. Because uh, you like like I was saying before, you have to give the devil his due, and if they have a point and you don't give it, then you're not an integrous person in that moment, and that's going to trigger them and be like you're just going to confirm what you don't want them to confirm about people who leave the right. church, which is like, Oh, see, you were disingenuous. And if you were, you know, it's like, this is not about manipulation. This is not a tactic. It's a strategy where both people maximize the likelihood that there will, that conversation will be integrous and that it will actually move somewhere because man, do I have like just a whole cemetery full of conversations that just did not go anywhere and, you know, just are never going to be revived. So <laughs> I know I wanted uh, to have less of those. So exactly. I hope and that's useful tool. for everybody. It, no, it's extremely useful. And it's a tool that you just kind of put in your mind. And I mean, it's not a conversation you're not even planning to have, but you'll have that tool and you'll go, wait, I can, I can rephrase it this way. And, yeah. you know, we're going to have a better outcome. It may not be a perfect outcome, but it's going to be a better outcome. And I think it's all about relationships, like you say, which is, like you said, 90% of your, <laughs> your coaching is talking about that. So, wow. Well, this has just been, like I said, we talked to Kyle, of course, ahead of time a week or so ago. And Landon and I were both like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. And now I feel so good now, right now, too. You're just, just wonderful. You just spread sunshine. That sounds really cliche, but you're just amazing to talk to. And um, you. you're also on Instagram and TikTok. You can find uh, Beyond God and Religion there. And we'll link 
all of his contact information in the show notes for this episode so that anybody can reach out to Kyle if they would like to, because um, I'm imagining a lot of people would like to continue this conversation and maybe talk to you about some of their own personal things they're going through. So again, we just like to say thank you. Thank you, Kyle. You're wonderful sitting there in Kara's basement in front of your wall. That's <laughs> so fun. Just awesome. And we'd like to remind everybody to like and subscribe and hit that notification bell if you'd like to be made aware of when our episode come out and we finally did believe it or not figure out how if anybody would like to help support the channel because we appreciate you all so much we have links to paypal and venmo in our show notes if you'd like to support us we just we appreciate and love all of our viewers and we also love all of our guests so thank you again for mormonish we will sign off for now thanks kyle thanks landon bye everybody thanks for joining us for another episode of mormonish we really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.